I know that you've probably been told that time heals all wounds. And if you've been told that, I am sorry to say you've been told a lie. You have probably already figured that out at this point in your life. But if you haven't, I am here to tell you. And if you have, I'm here to confirm that, yes, you are right. That saying is false. It is demonstrably false. At best, we could say that it's a half truth. It is accurate to say that time heals some wounds. Undoubtedly, that is true. Usually, time is more likely to heal smaller wounds. And, and we're, of course, talking about emotional wounds today, since this is a mental health channel. Little stuff does just get better with time. It does just go away. Sometimes even bigger stuff does. But there is a subset of emotional wounds that usually involves grief or trauma that absolutely does not get better with time. In fact, sometimes it goes the opposite direction. Sometimes it gets worse with time. And if you think of it literally as a wound, sometimes it's a wound that expands and gets infected and actually becomes worse and worse and worse the longer you leave it untreated. That's really unfortunate because the phrase time heals all wounds essentially encourages us not to seek treatment. It tells us you'll be fine. It's just going to take you a while. That is not necessarily reality. Sometimes the longer it has been since the loss, the more angry we get, the more bitter we get, the more hurt we get. Sometimes the grief feels just as sharp five years, 10 years, 15 years later as it did the day it happened. Sometimes we feel like if the grief was a death, we might feel like part of ourselves died with that person. And we are not whole, we are not complete, and we haven't been since that day. Sometimes we don't fully believe that the loss is real. And there can be a level of denial or even delusion or doubt that what we believe or have been told happened actually happened the way we were told. Sometimes we stop caring about ourselves after a loss. Sometimes our own lives feel pointless, purposeless, meaningless. Sometimes we feel hollow, empty, numb, alone. Sometimes we even take on the characteristics, the hobbies, the roles, even the clothing or the way a person dresses when we've lost somebody. All of the things that I just mentioned, especially if they persist for a long period of time, and I know that's very subjective, and I'll go back to that in a second, are signs of something we call prolonged grief disorder. Prolonged grief disorder is a pretty new mental health diagnosis. It was added to the DSM in 2022, so just a year before I'm making this video. It's not something that there's a great uh, amount of awareness of yet, in my experience. I even know many clinicians, therapists, who have never heard of it before. But prolonged grief disorder is diagnosed when someone experiences a cluster of some of the symptoms I just described for a period of time that is defined as longer than expected. What is expected? Well, that's hard to say. The amount of time that we consider it, quote, normal for a person to be grieving can vary tremendously uh, based on a lot of different factors. The age of the person, the circumstances surrounding the grief, the person's culture, all kinds of things can affect what is considered to be normal or healthy grieving. Ultimately, this is something that I think should be at least initially determined by the person who is struggling with the grief. As in, if you feel like this is not 
getting better or you are not improving or you are not moving forward at a rate that seems right to you. I know that's a very subjective thing. That's when you might consider talking to somebody about prolonged grief disorder. The average prevalence rate of prolonged grief disorder is estimated to be about 10%, which if you, that might seem small, but if you really think about it, virtually every human being has grief or, or at least unless you're like an infant, you might not, but sadly you will, like no one is going to make it through this life without a significant loss. And so if something has a lifetime prevalence rate of 10% and we're at pretty close to 8 billion people right now, that means this is something that's going to affect almost a billion people. That is a point, a data point that I do not want you to overlook because one of the symptoms of prolonged grief disorder is feeling alone. And that's something that people often experience when they're grieving anyway, is a sense of being alone. Because most people, at least anecdotally in my experience, who are grieving do not like to show that they are grieving, especially if nobody around them is showing that they are grieving. I think there are so many times in life when a group of people who has experienced some type of loss together is all together in the same place and they're all trying to hold their grief in because they look at everybody else. I think we tend to take people's grief or lack thereof at face value. So if you look around and nobody is visibly grieving and everyone appears to be like coping and laughing and smiling, what we internalize in those situations is, wow, everyone except me is handling this well. There must be something wrong with me. I must be weak. I must be sensitive. I must be pathetic. I must not be grieving right. And so we read the room and we determine it would not be appropriate or safe or helpful for me to be visibly grieving right now. So I'm going to make myself look the way all these other people seem to feel just so that I fit in and, and don't feel like the weirdo. When in reality, my guess is most or all of those people are actually doing the exact same thing. And inside, everyone's grieving, and everyone sees everyone else not visibly grieving, and everyone puts the mask on to fit in. And the truth is that if just one person acknowledged it and said, guys, I'm struggling, I'm still thinking about her, I'm still thinking about him, it's, you know, whatever, whatever the loss was, that that sometimes gives other people permission to say, yeah, me too. You're not alone. I'm right there with you. In fact, we all are. We're just all trying to cope with it. We're all trying to hide it. And we thought we were the only ones. So no one wanted to say anything. I've seen that happen. And it can be such a powerful moment. One other thing I want to say on grief is it's important to remember that grief doesn't always mean someone you love has died. Like that's the stereotypical grief as we think, you know, a loved one has died. There are many, many other forms of grief and any form of grief can turn into prolonged grief disorder. This is not a diagnosis exclusively reserved for people who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Some other reasons I have seen people experience prolonged grief disorder are breakups, loss of a job, getting kicked out of school, getting a new chronic physical health diagnosis that affects a person's future or affects a person's functioning. Even that is a very, very short list. So if this sounds like you, but you're thinking like, well, no one has died or at least not recently. So this can't be me. No, it could be you. It absolutely could. And restricting grief to people who are dealing with death is, is invalidating and unfair. So please know that this diagnosis can apply to a very wide range of situations. Anything involving some type of loss or limitation on life is potentially a source of grief. I'm sure at this point, you would like to know 
how to treat prolonged grief disorder. What the heck does a person do about it? Keeping in mind, we've only officially known about this diagnosis, or at least had a label for it and a CPT code for it uh, for a year. Th that means this is a new diagnosis, which means we haven't studied it a ton yet. At this point, there is only one treatment for prolonged grief disorder that is considered to be supported by the APA, the American Psychological Association, and that is cognitive behavioral therapy for prolonged grief disorder. This is something that you would do in therapy with a licensed therapist. There aren't really any, unfortunately, I'm sure you'd love for me to teach you something you could do at home. Maybe some of the things I describe in therapy are things people can work on their own, but ultimately, I think grief is something as, as much as we would all love to deal with our grief in private because it's it can be embarrassing, it, it, it's a sad thing, I do think working with other people can actually be a part of the healing process. Having your grief witnessed and understood and validated by someone else can be a really, really powerful tool because we don't always get that in you know the so-called real world. It's at least in America, I've only lived in in the culture that I live in, and specifically, I live in the Midwest, which can be somewhat of a of a stoic culture, right? We're you know toughen up and move on. That that often is how many of us were raised. Um, it's not an easy thing to get you know real support or validation around, and I think even just getting that, even if it is from a therapist, it still counts. Just so you know, and again, I guess I can only speak for myself, but. A lot of people have said like, well, you just care about me because my insurance pays you. They actually don't. One of the things that one of the things that I really honestly hate about my field is insurance payments are are just based on the code that you drop and they're not actually based on the quality of your service. So, although I am not the kind of person who ever would do this or is even capable of doing this, if I show up and give some super half-hearted attempt at therapy and I'm daydreaming the whole time and really don't listen or care what happens to you, I actually get paid the same as if I have the best therapy session of my life. Because all your insurance company sees is the code and the code doesn't change. There's not a special code for like, I did a really good job today. Please pay me more. So if if you feel like your therapist cares, if you feel a sense of connection with your therapist, it, it almost certainly is real because they don't actually get paid more to be good at their jobs. I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but it felt appropriate there. Cognitive behavioral therapy for prolonged grief disorder has a few components to it. One of them is simply processing. So going back to this idea that time heals all wounds, I believe, and it sounds like a lot of the research supports this, that the actual equation is time plus experiencing and expressing your emotions heals all wounds. And there's going to need to be some combination of both. In other words, like, I don't think you can speed run your grief. I don't think you can just sit in it, you know, for a week straight, do nothing else, and then like be recovered and be fine. So it's not that there is some certain amount that it's going to hurt. And once you get that amount out in any time frame, you're just done and you move on with your life. But I also know that you can't just hold it all inside for like a year and then emerge from your grief cocoon and be like, I'm healed now and I didn't feel any of it. That was great. It's some mix of the two things. And I'm sure the exact ratio and time frame, annoyingly, as it always does, is going to vary from person to person. And even if even within one person, probably from loss to loss, like not every loss is the same. Some losses are going to take longer than others. Some losses hurt more than others. So there's no exact equation. But what I do know is this, you do have to feel it. 
but you also do have to take breaks from feeling it and live your actual life too. And a good therapist, a good grief therapist is going to really be able to help facilitate that for you. They're going to probably do a lot of the processing with you in the session, but they're also going to help, you know, for lack of a better term, like put you back together before you leave the session. It's not going to be that you're, you know, actively grieving and sobbing. And then they're like, oh, hey, we're done. And then you got to, you know, walk out past the waiting room, makeup streaming down your face and spend 30 minutes composing yourself before you go back to work or wherever you're going after that. At least it's not supposed to be like that. And if it is like that, you might not actually have a grief therapist. People can claim they're any kind of therapist they want. And there's really no regulatory boards around that. Like you can, you can do grief work with one person or, or technically zero people and then put on your psychology today bio. I am a grief therapist. So I know it sucks to hear, but you, you got to feel them out a little bit. You just, you can't tell by someone's bio if they actually know what they're talking about or not. I think usually you got to, you got to meet them and just see what you think. Um, within that, within the idea of processing your grief, it should be done hi hierarchically. It's kind of a hard word to say. What that means is twofold. It means you're going to take the loss or losses. It might be more than one thing. And you're going to essentially identify sort of an order to them easiest to hardest or like least to most painful. And obviously those terms are relative. None of this is easy. None of this is painless, but some parts of the loss probably are going to be easier to talk about than others. And the idea is that you're going to start with the easier stuff. And what should happen is that when you, you know, over the course of a one hour therapy session, hopefully you start and end on, on lighthearted, normal stuff. And the grief work really should be the middle. It should kind of look like a plateau, if that makes sense. And what should happen is that as you first start getting into the grief, it's going to really hurt. I mean, when you first kind of open, open that lockbox, so to speak, you know, a lot of feelings, a lot of pain comes rushing forth. And then what should happen is as you're talking about it, as you're sitting with those feelings, you feel it start to decline a little bit, start to soften a little bit. And by the end of the session, you're hopefully not in an immense acute amount of emotional pain. And every time you kind of like ride that wave, it's going to, on average, it's not linear, it's not simple. On average, it's going to make that next wave not crest quite so high. In other words, every time you successfully complete a processing loop, it decreases your emotional reactivity to that topic, even if ever so slightly. Now, the trick to that is you have to do it. That's why you do it, you know, easiest to hardest, so to speak, because if you just dive head first into the worst part, you probably aren't going to experience that downswing by the end of a therapy session or maybe even by the end of the week. Right. Unpacking that much pain too quickly doesn't allow you to get to that point of resolution where you say, all right, I'm starting to feel even if it's you know minimal, just the slightest bit better, just in the slightest amount less of pain. That was a broken sentence, but I, I trust that you know what I meant by that. So that's what it's supposed to look like, the processing component. Another part of cognitive behavioral therapy for prolonged grief disorder, it's really, really hard to do, but it is, it is important, is working on reintegrating positive memories. This can be a minefield because when you have lost something, the positive memories hurt too because they all just feel like reminders of the thing you don't have anymore. And that can be really, really tough. And that's why a lot of times we avoid any and all memories related to the thing, even happy memories, because the happy memories hurt too. 
But if you don't allow yourself to reintegrate the positive memories of the person or the place or the thing into your mental landscape around that idea, it tends to just keep you stuck. It tends to just keep you in that, you know, this was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is just universally awful. It's not okay. It's not fair. I'll never be okay with this. I'll never move on. I'll never get better. I don't know a way to say this that isn't going to make you at least a little bit mad. So I'm just... There has to be a part of you that still appreciates what you had, even if it was taken from you unfairly, even if it was taken from you prematurely. If you don't have that, this is going to hurt forever. It it just is. And I know that sucks to hear. I'm sorry. I That's all I can really say on that. Another thing that tends to help in dealing with prolonged grief disorder is working towards acceptance. Now, that's another. This might sound bad at first, too, but this one I can explain acceptance doesn't mean you're okay with it, okay? So when I say work on acceptance of grief, that doesn't mean that we're trying to get you to a point where you say, you know what, it, it, it's okay. It's okay that this happened. It's okay that this person's gone. That is a great outcome to work towards. It isn't always achievable though. There, there might always be a part of you that is angry or a part of you that's hurt or a part of you that's resentful. This is acceptance as in acceptance as the opposite of denial. As in, again, going back to those symptoms, knowing that one of the symptoms of prolonged grief disorder is a sense of like disbelief or unreality around the loss. Acceptance means, you know, I am fully 100% aware that this loss did occur. There's no denial. There's no delusion. I, I, I am aware that this happened. And, and sometimes we have a hard time getting to that point. Again, I know acceptance can, can make it sound like, like you're good with it. Sometimes I think a better term would almost be like acknowledgement or awareness. Um, but yeah, acceptance as the opposite of denial, not acceptance as in like, oh, well, I'm fine. This is, it, it's cool. It's good. Because that's not, at least not a place where you're going to get soon. Sometimes you can get there eventually. Sometimes you can't. Um, and the last component of cognitive behavioral therapy for prolonged grief disorder is working on restoring your biological stability. When we're grieving, we often stop doing a lot of the things that keep our bodies and our minds working properly because they don't feel important anymore. We're in so much pain, so much despair that we don't really care what happens to us anymore. And I mean, that's why people bring a grieving person food because they know like, hey, you're probably not going to feel like cooking for a while. You're probably not going to feel like eating for a while either. But if you do suddenly feel like eating, I know it'd be a lot easier for you to eat if someone's already made the food for you. So here's some food. Um, we stop doing those things, eating, sleeping, being physically active, taking our meds. Sometimes we start using substances more than we should. And, and these are all understandable things and to some degree, normal parts of the grieving process. But when you continue to live the lifestyle of a grieving person, it blocks your ability to ever not feel like a grieving person because you're actually unintentionally, this is no shame, no judgment, no blame. This is just an objective description of what's happening. You are facilitating the grief. You are putting your body and your mind in a state, in a functional state where they have difficulty not feeling that way. Your brain needs rest and physical activity and caloric energy to self-regulate. It needs those resources to take these big, difficult feelings that you have and help you figure out like how to live with them. How can I be a person and be functional and go back out into that often callous and uncaring world with these feelings? You need your frontal lobe to do that. And your frontal lobe doesn't work very well when you're starving or exhausted or sedentary for that matter. So you got to give your brain the resources it needs to help you 
move on to whatever's next in your life. I know that this is a sensitive topic. I feel like I've done a lot of those lately, but that's because most sensitive things are also important. So I hope that this information is helpful. I will very likely do another video on prolonged grief disorder somewhere down the road once we as a field know more about it because it's still just such a new thing. And um, I don't feel like we understand it well enough to be as helpful to people as I think we need to be. But hopefully that changes and hopefully I can help that change at least for you. I really encourage you to consider therapy for this if this lands for you, because it's grief is not easy to deal with under any circumstances, but man, does it suck to deal with it alone. I know I've tried. It's not fun. I hope this was helpful and I will see you next time. Take care.